0: If you plan to study medicine, apply for the U.S. Army's Health Profession Scholarship Program and launch yourself into a medical career like no other. It offers full tuition and the support of one of the largest, most advanced healthcare networks in the world. A career of innovative medicine without a lifetime of debt—that's the Army difference. Learn more at goarmy.com/tuitionpaid.
1: And technology may seem to be growing together at an incredible exponential rate. The acceleration may seem to be astronomical. But in reality, humans really haven't changed that much. But technology sure has. In today's episode of Dr. D's Social Network, we connect with fellow podcaster Rebecca Scott, who has an amazing podcast called Humans Now and Then. We get pretty deep about all things humanity and technology. Now, for those of you listening, we're going to have a little bit of a different format. Instead of the regular back and forth conversation, we're going to have a little commentary overlay and then have Rebecca provide the answer. So, enjoy a little different format on the show. I want to ask Rebecca, why did she get into podcasting? I mean, it's something that I really love. It's been very therapeutic, Uh, a big creativity uh, burst for me. But why is she doing it?
0: For a while, I had, I suppose, been frustrated with a status quo of primarily work. But one of the things in particular that was on my mind was in relation to technology and conversations about the future. So as uh, those conversations continued to kind of move forward out in social media and on the world, whether it be tech moguls or folks who had just had very strong opinions about technology, the conversations about the future was really around that, Um, not as much around the experience that each of us will have with those technologies or things that we can do to improve our experience as people in the world. And I felt like those conversations needed more prevalence. So literally was driving my daughter to gymnastics one day and had somewhat of an epiphany <laughs> that I should start a podcast and actually was so excited about it, it brought tears to my eyes. My daughter thought I had lost it. But <laughs> but obviously that was a moment that I, you know, I had made my decision pretty quickly. This is the direction I could go. Even even though I had never had any experience podcasting, wasn't really even a podcast listener at the time. Uh, decided I was going to do it, learned how to do it, and then I did it. That's my story.
1: As a podcaster, there's an incredible amount of topics that you can cover. I want to understand what Rebecca is looking for in terms of topics, what she wants to explore in her show.
0: One of the big topics I'm really interested in is around um, you know, diversity and inclusion. And so how do we make sure that Everyone is included in conversations about the future, access to technology, and so forth. So I've had the, the joy of having a few folks that have those types of expertise on my show. One of them um, is a to-be-released episode uh, by somebody who, uh, whose name is B. Cavello. They are a technology expert that works on um, AI initiatives to help in, a, in an organization called the Partnership for AI. They work with large tech firms to help bring forward uh, ethical, the ethical base and the ethical um, evolution of technology in the future. So B is someone who has expertise in relation to the accessibility of technology and also ensuring that um, it is used for good, I suppose. So B was a tremendous person to talk to. I was so glad to have them on my podcast. And I can't wait for folks to hear that episode because I think it's very... Uh, Important for folks to understand the work that's being done in relation to um, ethics and technology and also diversity and inclusion.
1: Something that I think can be difficult in podcasting is being approached by guests that may have topics that you're not really into doing or that are so sensationalized or over the top that you feel like having that topic would be a little too much for what you're trying to do. So, I wanted to learn from Rebecca how she handles this and goes about this semi difficult topic.
0: I've had a couple people um, approach me that um, had, well, one person in particular, and I'm obviously not going to get into too much detail because I don't want to, I want to also respect this person's privacy. Uh, but one person who had reached out who has very extreme beliefs um, about, uh, you know, society and, um, not even just the origins of society, but some of the very extreme beliefs about what should happen um, as we move forward, or how we, we need to reconstruct society, that was kind of um, very out in left field. So I, I didn't want to, definitely didn't want to go there, because I, you know, I think there is a, a the part of it was just kind of like that misinformation kind of thing. I felt like it was going in a direction that was not uh, conducive to um, the, the direction I wanted to go. So I've had that. I think in general though, most people that I talk to have had very good information, had very broad perspectives. And I usually don't shy away from like things like even political opinions um, or perspectives that are that are um, mindful, you know, um, and truthful. I think those are things I'm more than happy to explore on my podcast, um, regardless of political persuasion, um, as long as it doesn't get into that place of misinformation. Uh, but I've also had, I think the other people that I've um, turned away are folks that are, um, I think, around you know more self-promotion <laughs> and not making the world better, I suppose. I think there definitely is a line um, in relation to censorship that you have to be cautious not to cross the line in relation to just political opinion and political persuasion or perspective. But pure misinformation, especially that misinformation that leads to discord or potential, um, you know, risk to people, I think should definitely be flagged. I think sometimes should be removed because I think some of that content is dangerous and the content that is dangerous to people, I think should definitely be removed. I think the content that is blatant misinformation or inaccurate should definitely at a minimum be flagged so people can remain informed. That does require those people reading that information to trust those platforms in in flagging that as misinformation. And sometimes they don't. So this is why it becomes really important for people to really look at multiple news sources, multiple sources of information when they see anything on social media in particular, read any articles, read any blogs about things and ensure that what they're reading is accurate. Um, it's really important for people to do that, especially now. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I do think it should be flagged. I do think there should be control over that information, especially when it is creating a danger to other people. But, um, I am not someone who typically believes in censorship, um, in relation to opinions and perspectives and so forth. I mean, I'm not going to always agree with my guests. I mean, I've been lucky enough to have some folks on that, you know, have a lot of great information about the future, about technology, about the world and about people. And I think it's been really amazing. People may agree or, or disagree with those positions, but I felt good about the guests that I had on because they really, again, all were centered around that purpose. If I want to say the one thing they came together on in relation to the guests that come on my show are we all want to do something to shape a better future. And I think staying true to what you're trying to achieve makes a huge difference. Um, And I don't know that I would ever deviate from that because I would lose the, I would lose my passion for it, Um, but then also it doesn't have the same value. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have millions of listeners today and um, I'd much rather reach a, f- a small group of people who really believe in what I'm doing and it makes a difference in their lives than to reach millions of people with content that's erroneous or not helpful.
1: This brings up the topic of misinformation and the lack of media literacy among the general public. Tremendous amounts of information are put onto the internet and all over the world but not a lot of people actually understand how to read it, to understand what's real and what's not.
0: I was very close to putting together an episode about the history of politics and decided not to do it right now. <laughs> but I think there's some things like that are interesting for us to learn, learn from. So I think I still will do those episodes that look into deep dives on historical context around things like politics, politics. Um, social media, um, and also precursors to social media, marketing, um, and, you know, health. You know, health is super interesting. I know that's something that you have a lot of passion about. But thinking about what we need for our own well-being, I mean, those this really dive down into the truth around what we've seen historically and dispel myths. I mean, I think one of the things that I love to do is find, you know, the data that we need to help educate People in areas that are important for folks to understand, because if people don't understand, first of all, they're they're vulnerable to misinformation. I don't blame those people. Uh, I blame the people that dispel the the poor information for their own benefit. And so, the best that we way that we can combat that or help these people, you know, pe- people out in the world have good, true information, is to provide the facts to do that. So, I mean, from my perspective. And I always thought about, you know, maybe I see myself somewhat as a journalist to some extent at times and being able to give people information that they need or that they may not have available to them. But I think that's really important. I mean, truth and uh, data, uh, I think, and that type of information is tremendously important, especially as we move into the future, because one of the things in relation to, to technology that gets a little bit more frightening Um, beyond just the fact of what we see today on social media and, you know, the clickbait and uh, misinformation campaigns and so forth are things like deepfakes. And as deepfakes get better um, over time, it's going to be harder and harder to distinguish what's real and what's not. And so I think it's going to be more and more important for people to have information that they can trust uh, to make good decisions, but also just understand what's really what they're seeing and what's happening in the world. I saw um, a conversation out out online uh, probably about a week ago. And um, there was a a gentleman who was uh, speaking about his experience in creating this um, news outlet uh, that purposefully uh, put out disinformation to attract people of a certain political persuasion so they could make money. And he said it in a way that was just so matter of fact and um, like it was no big deal. This is how he made money. I put misinformation out there, attracted all these people that had extreme views, and I made tons of money off of it. And I was, you know, morally shocked. I mean, not entirely. I mean, I know those things are out there, but the fact that folks will just... You know, think about this is just an op- opportunity for me to profit and not think about the consequences of their actions, especially in today's world. Um, yeah, that's that's really upsetting. I'm, I'm really kind of a proponent to make sure that people are putting really positive, not only really necessarily positive messages, but truthful, sure, truthful messages and really should carry that responsibility pretty heavily. Um, so it really frustrates me when I see those types of things out in the world.
1: What are the ethics or the unintended consequences to technology, this explosion of information and creation. While there's so much good, what could be the unintended downside of it?
0: I can say from my own experience, just just talking to people about my podcast, people ask me questions just out in the world that don't have that type of expertise. And people are definitely thinking about this if they're not talking about it. And so these are concerns that people have out in the world. And I always encourage people to be a part of the conversation. It's okay to bring up these concerns. You don't have to be a technological expert. You don't have to have a background in AI. You don't have to have a background in data to bring up these kind of concerns and questions you have about the future. So I would love to get more people involved. I think the perspective that people outside of the industry bring um, is tremendously valuable. And it also gives great insight into... Um, you know people who are consuming technology or, or using technology and their comfort level with that they get to some you know they get to some point where they think things are creepy people start to rethink even um, how marketing is happening today so the remarketing and retargeting we see on Facebook so this is like you just visited a website for shoes and then all of a sudden it shows up on your Facebook feed right these things creep people out you know and if we are aware of the fact that people are creeped out by that and think differently about how do we want to make sure that people feel comfortable with the technology that they're using, uh, that they don't feel like they're being surveilled, but they feel like uh, there's something that's useful to them or beneficial to them. Uh, that's extremely beneficial and valuable. And I think people of all walks of life should be welcome to that com- having that conversation. Uh, and I think they want to. I try to promote those type of honest conversations about what if things go wrong? And not to the extent of uh, you know, apocalyptic scenarios, so to speak. I think what's really interesting is that there's lots of different directions we can do to challenge uh, how we're moving forward or thinking a little bit more deeply around um, you know, the impact of decisions we make. In the episode I referenced, we do talk a little bit about this topic, about how do you make sure you're using critical thinking to identify the potential downsides to technological advancement? Uh, But in general, I think it's one of those things that everyone can get a part, you know, be a part of that conversation. There was another episode I did in relation to smart cities. And in that episode, we had brought up, and that was James Caton, we had brought up the importance of citizens being involved in the evolution of smart cities, for instance, to make sure that technology was being used in the way that it was intended. Rather than using that technology for things like surveilling people or invading people's privacy, uh, rather using that technology for the things that they're intended for, uh, such as uh, public safety, um, you know, tracking, you know, wellness and disease, and other things that are really beneficial to society. Um, and so, it's a great opportunity for people to ask questions if they have those types of concerns, like what if the technology goes wrong? What if unintended consequences happen? I, I think it's great for people to get involved in the conversations to either educate themselves about who's working out there doing the good work to make sure technology is evolving in a way that's ethical and safe. And then the other folks that might be uh, need to hear that perspective about where it could go wrong and things that we can do to, to right that ship and think differently about you know how we can move forward in a better direction.
1: Hey everyone, this podcast episode is sponsored by the good folks at Podcorn. Now, I'm guessing that as a podcaster, at some point you thought, how do I monetize my podcast or get sponsorship? It can't be a daunting task, but the people at Podcorn are amazing. Podcorn. Is essentially a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities you know things like host red ads mid-roll ads uh, interview segments topical discussions things of that nature with Podcorn there's no middleman podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform you can set your own rates collaborate directly with any brands and it's something that's amazing because you don't give up any rights to your podcast and Podcorn is there to support you at every step. I can attest to that. I've done uh, several sponsorships with them, and they've been easy to work with. Really straightforward, very transparent, uh, a lot of creative freedom, and full control of how and when you monetize. So make sure you go to the show notes uh, for this episode to check out Podcorn, and go to the site, and get connected with these guys. They're really amazing people, and I hope you enjoy the Podcorn experience as much as I have. often think about this topic quite a bit, about data, data security, our data being sold. Have you thought about that? Rebecca's definitely thought about it. her talk about it.
0: People are selling their data today and they don't know it. Every time you get a freebie to give your email address or your name or what, whatnot, you've sold your data. Um, so now you're talking about monetizing that. So that's really an interesting, and I've heard I've heard of similar solutions of monetizing you know, the permission to use data. And you have to really understand what's involved and really, I think, sometimes look deeper into how that data will be used. Who will it be sold to? Because if someone's willing to pay you for that data, that means they're going to make more money than you off of your data. Uh, so you have to really understand, you know, maybe that's fine with you. Maybe um, the risk is is worth, you know, carrying forward, but it's important to ask the right questions and understand What's going to happen with that data once you've sold it?
1: What are our potential futures? Seems like they're limitless in the vast space, an ocean of stars. Where are we
0: headed? What's really interesting is that it can. there's lots of different potential futures. And so when you look at it from like a futurist or a foresight perspective, there's multiple directions this could go. Some are positive and probably preferable to most folks and some probably not so much. Um, but really it comes down to what do we decide what actions do we decide to shape the future that we envision or that we would like to have so even if you look at those potential futures where we're headed you know if you want to look at the apocalyptic scenarios, the worst case scenarios right where um, earth becomes inhabitable and people are consumed with their technology to the point that um, they're unable to make decisions for themselves or unable to solve problems in the same way or technology breaks down and we can't we can't do things. I mean, that's like the worst case scenario. Do I think that's going to happen? I personally don't see that direction happening because I believe that people will step up and do the right thing at the right time. And I know we don't always see examples of that in society, but we do sometimes see a lot of examples of people stepping up and realizing things are not going well and I'm going to step up and make a difference. It's even happening now right, you know, right now in the United States. And, and, you know, regardless of the initiatives or your political stance, there are multitudes of people standing up for what they believe in to make a difference. Um, And this is something that people will continue to do. And the more that we rally together towards common purpose, common goals, common mission, if it comes down to those things that are important for humanity, for all of society, that we come together and make those things better, that's what I have faith in. That's what gives me optimism, that people will step up and do that. So I think the things I think a lot about, of course, are um, the environment. So what can we do to help uh, make sure we have a habitable environment for future generations? Um, And how can technology help create that future? And there are multiple stories of technology that are being used for ecological good And more of those stories need to get out in the world so folks can see the benefit of some of these evolving technologies around those, you know, and not just those things that could potentially, you know, add risk or those things that are, I suppose, more profitable, (laughs) which we hear a whole lot about that stuff, uh, but not enough about the good technology that's really making a difference for humanity. I mean, I think what's really interesting is to think about how people can sustain themselves as the job market significantly is disrupted. And we're living some of that right now. It's really accelerating uh, what people thought the future might look like. We're learning a lot uh, in the world around the, the workplace, the virtual workplace in particular, and the importance of, again, the human experience of that. The huge increase in loneliness, for instance, the health impacts, the public health impacts of loneliness, the importance of understanding, you know, the value of human connection, how to maintain human connection virtually, and also understanding that it's very difficult to simulate that type of connection virtually. So as we start to learn these kind of things and understand the impact it has on people, both from a well-being perspective, from a mental health perspective, uh, we can start making different decisions about what the future of work might look like. The other piece that I think is really compelling when you think about where we're headed is around purpose. It's really important that people have a sense of purpose to be well. It's core to who we are as people. It's a, it's a key actual need that we have to have a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose. So as the workplace evolves, when we talk about technology replacing uh, jobs that are repeatable tasks. Uh, it's important we think about where people can play in that dynamic, uh, especially in those areas that are around uh, thoughts and problem solving. Uh, because if you remove people from those types of equations, there's going to be multitudes of inherent problems with allowing AI to continue to uh, down the trajectory of making decisions on the behalf of people. There is a limit to um, those algorithms being able to make decisions uh, accurately, uh, but also in the best interests of people. So I think that's the thing that we need to think about as human beings. Like what's the point of advancement um, that we need to take a look and say, um, you know, do we really want machines to, or robots or AI um, or, you know, any of those, the technology that could be happening in the future make decisions on our behalf and to what extent? So I think that's something that we really need to think deeply about. It's something I think about a lot.
1: A friend of mine once asked me, 200 years from now, what's one of the bigger things we'll look back and go, what were we thinking? Why are we doing that? I wanted to see what Rebecca thought about
0: that. If I am living 200 years from now and I look back on the year 2020, besides the things that most of us might say, like, boy, this was a dumpster fire, and, this was terrible, this was a you know difficult year and things like that, what I really, really hope I can look back and reflect on is everything we learned from this time and how it made things better. Because even though I think I recognize those things that could lead to poor outcomes or things that can lead to risk, I do so with the hope that we can do something about those things to make them better and improve. So I'm deeply an optimist from that perspective, um, but I'm also a realist in recognizing the potential risks and then thinking very critically about what can we do to change the direction. And so what I sincerely hope is 200 years from now, I can look back and say, 2020 was a dumpster fire, but it was a tipping point towards this amazing future we have today in 22, oh, <laughs> I to think about that. I didn't think too hard about that, Twenty two twenty.
1: One of the things I really am curious about, and I wanted to talk to Rebecca in regards to this is, what can we learn from past humans that will help future humans.
0: There is so much that we can learn from what we've experienced in the past. And this is one of the things that I am always fascinated about when I talk to folks like anthropologists and historians about how we used to live and thinking about how we can apply that to not only how we live today, but also how we should be living in the future. One of the interesting realities around just how people have evolved is that our brains react to things in a very similar way as it did thousands of years ago, when the threats that we had in our environment were completely different. And as we think about moving forward, we tend to think that we have evolved so much, that we are so much different in our behavior and mindset than we used to be, but it's not necessarily the case. We've learned a lot, we have evolved some, but we still respond to threats in our environment very similar. similarly. And this is something that holds us back today from really addressing some of the very pressing issues that we have, because it's hard for us to process these threats. So when we think about going forward into the future, what I think we have to acknowledge is the fact that we are not going to be kind of like this vision of who we see in the future in movies, of this advanced race of people that... Um, you know, can work with robots and cyborgs and, you know, aliens and whatever. I mean, that's not who we're going to be. We're going to be very similar to how we are today. We'll learn a lot through then. We'll have more technology to help us through life. But one of the things that we can learn is looking at those patterns of behavior over history, over our human history, and understanding that those patterns still repeat today, and they will likely continue to repeat in the future. So if we want to set up an environment to help us thrive, we should think about those things that historically have helped societies and cultures thrive. And a lot of it really does come down to belonging to a group, having a sense of purpose in that group so we feel safe, we feel protected, and we feel loved. And these are things that we're going to need in the future, just the same as we need them today, just the same as we needed them thousands of years ago. And you can look at all different types of historical events and realize that the thing that always seems to bring us back together, and even those things that bring together groups that are sometimes in conflict, are common purpose, common values, working together towards common goals, um, because this is just how we're wired. So my hope for the future is that when we think about our experience in the future, we think about the historical context of how people have thrived in the past, and use that information to create experiences in the future that help us thrive in the same way.
1: Wow, there's so much out there, space, stars, cosmos, and here on Earth. What can we look forward to? What should we focus on?
0: Yeah, I think it's this is a great opportunity for us as citizens to cut out the noise we're hearing from pundits and from politicians about who is good and who is bad or what is right and what is wrong. Instead, look at the relationships and the connections we have with the people right in front of us and not allow the other things that we hear out in the world, the things that come at us sometimes within an echo chamber that really change our mindset and the way we think. um, And really think more clearly about those people that we have connections with, especially family members or friends. Um, We, we kind of go to this place like you're not who I thought you were, but I think what it really comes down to is um, you watch a different set of news networks than I do. (laughs) And you listen to a different set of politicians than I do. And if you just, just kind of cut through all of the noise, certainly you're going to have political beliefs on one persuasion or another, or somewhere in the middle. Uh, But at the end of the day, you know think very deeply about those human connections or why those human connections exist um, in the first place thank you for listening to this episode of dr D's social network make sure you listen to future episodes also please make sure to rate and review my dad's show on apple podcast in the rate and review section thanks everyone
1: sure we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switched to progressive could save big but then what well, there is a nice piece of stock music playing behind me that a talented composer worked really hard on, so let's enjoy it. Wow, almost overshadows the saving big when you switch to progressive part. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Any workout, any
0: mood, any time. That's what the Peloton Tread is all about. From interval runs that motivate you to go the extra mile, power walks that work up a sweat, rolling hill hikes for you to enjoy, and full body boot camps to hit your goals. Plus thousands of workouts that go beyond the tread. Strength programs, core classes, yoga, pilates, and even boxing. Everything you need on and off the Peloton Tread. Experience it all for yourself with a 30-day home trial. Learn more at OnePeloton.com.